Welcome back to the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator of this show. As you'll hear in this episode, Ed was caught in a bad storm on top of this multi-pitch climb. He had trouble hearing his climbing partner because of how loud the wind was. Don't get caught in that position. Stop yelling down and wondering if your climbing partner heard what you said. Get yourself a pair of Rocky Talkies. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. Rocky Talkie also donates $2 per radio to volunteer search and rescue teams around the country. If you need a radio, check these out and make sure to use code SHARPEN at rockytalkie.com for 10% off their radios. If you enjoy my podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member. It takes a lot of time, effort, love, and energy to continue to make each episode. I've been doing this for you for over six and a half years, putting out a new episode every first of the month. I've never missed a month, and that's 68 months in a row. I want to make this a sustainable project for myself. And if you become a Patreon at $5 a month, that's only $60 a year. And that may not be a lot to you, but if all 50,000 people that listen to this show donated that amount of money, I could potentially quit my day job and make this a full-time thing. So please show your support by becoming a Patreon member. This show is also supported by the American Alpine Club and Desert Mountain Medicine. My guests today and some friends went out on a climbing trip and they got caught on the rock in a bad storm. And I have Ed here to tell you his tale. Please enjoy. Hello, my name is Ed Weisner and I live in just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, I work for a photography company, although I'm not a photographer. I uh, support the photographers and uh, get them equipment and help move people along so that uh, things run smoothly. Um, but uh, I started climbing 14 years ago. It was my midlife crisis, uh, <laughs> right, right, ar- right around 50. Uh, I started climbing, and it's so funny because uh, climbing... Uh, is a perfect sport for me, and I never knew about it. I was never that athletic before then. So who would think that at 50 you'd pick up a major sport like climbing? But it was magic. I just loved it. And I love the climbing community, and there's just a a tremendous connection uh, between me and other climbers that I uh, uh, that really helps define me. Well, that's a pretty amazing thing to to find at fifty years old. What was uh, what led you to climbing? I'd always enjoyed being outdoors. I was one of those kids who you had to really watch to make sure that he wasn't going where the signs all told you not to. <laughs> uh, and I discovered that I like high places. My father had a uh, radio communications business, supplying radios for police departments. Uh, fire departments, that kind of thing. And uh, there is a 300-foot tower at his office. And one day when I was 12 years old, I decided I was going to climb to the top of the thing. Well, I didn't have a safety harness, didn't have anything like that. So I started getting up past the last set of guy wires. Those are the wires that uh, stabilize the tower. And uh, it started moving around on me when I got above that last set of wires. And so I started thinking, ah, maybe this is high enough. And then my dad saw me up there and 
boy, was he angry. But he didn't want to yell at me to get me anxious or anything like that. So, so he was like, Edward, you come down now. <laughs> and, uh, but I have that kind of a uh, relationship with high places. I just, like even at the theater, I like sitting up in the balcony. It just feels really good to see everything from the top. So uh, you got into climbing at 50 years old. And yeah. then it sounds like we you have an accident to share. What time of year did this accident happen? This was just about five years ago, uh, ju- late July uh, 2016. And uh, there were 10 of us, nine of us from uh, my climbing community in Des Moines. And then a friend of a friend who was coming in from, uh, oh gosh, where was she coming from? Someplace in the north um, from uh, Denver to join us at uh, the uh, Mount Rushmore area. I had no idea that there was even a climbing area in Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's kind of a well-kept secret. There's amazing climbing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, uh, uh, are you familiar with Custer uh, State Park? In, no, I'm uh, not. Uh, South Dakota. Um, the uh, uh, Custer State Park has some really fun climbing. The, the um, cathedral spires are some really fine um, trad climbing. Uh, right in Custer. And then there's, what is the name of that? Sylvan Lake. There's some really beautiful, both trad and bolted climbing around Sylvan Lake. And is that all but, in North Dakota? Uh, yeah, all in the uh, Rushmore area. And what kind of rock is that? Um, it's really hard sandstone. Okay. And so it's grippy, but uh, it, it can really tear your hands up. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Mount Rushmore is uh, a mile away from this particular climbing area. It's called the South Seas. Uh, It's one of a number of climbing areas within walking distance of a dispersed camping area called Wrinkled Rock. And uh, beautiful climbing there. Um, It's a little bit, uh, well, significantly sandbagged. If you jump on a 5.7, it's more like a 5.9 in the gym. And uh, uh, there are some routes out there that they'll call 5-8 and you feel like you're doing a vertical slab that all you're holding on to is crystals, you know? So nine of you or 10 of you met, yeah. did you guys all meet at this cragging area? Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a, the camping area is gorgeous. It's uh, dispersed camping, so you don't pay for it. Uh, there's a pit toilet and that's it. So you take in all of your stuff, bring in your water. And uh, it's a wooded area that's just gorgeous uh, and lots of places to uh, put up a tent. We had put up uh, a pavilion as well, and we uh, had a a kitchen set up under it. And so that was where we uh, congregated when we weren't climbing uh, for breakfast and uh, dinner. And uh, so um, that particular area it's a walking distance from a hundred to a hundred really nice routes of mix of, of both sport and trad climbing. Uh, that area is mainly sport, okay. uh, but there are a few trad climbs, but the sport is so good. Uh, anything between like 40 feet and there are some nice 110 foot, uh, uh, beautiful, um, challenging, uh, nice moves. You know, uh, you look at uh, climbing routes set in the gym 
and you think, wow, these guys are really good setters. But then you go outdoors and you find these incredible routes. It's like somebody knows that people are going to climb. And, and, and so uh, God is the best route setter, I, I like to say. Uh, so we were uh, mainly, uh, I don't think we did any trad that weekend, but uh, we were doing a lot of sport. So there was this particular route, it's called Waves in the South Sea area. It's 5'7". Uh, it's got a couple of challenges, but it's a pretty straightforward thing that's not too hard to climb. Is it a single pitch? Uh, uh, multi-pitch. Okay. Two pitches, about two 90 pitches. About 90 feet each. Okay. And uh, there are two ways to go. If you go straight up the front, it's an eight. There's this really nice uh, ramp thing that you can go up the side, and then it's a seven. But the uh, first belay station is in the same spot, about 90 feet up. And so getting to that point uh, isn't too bad. Uh, and then uh, the second pitch is a little more challenging, but still not too bad at all. And so... Uh, I uh, was looking forward to introducing some of my friends to multi-pitch. Most of them hadn't done it. And uh, so I had already uh, taken three or four people up to the top and back down again. I didn't go all the way down. I stopped at the first belay station. And uh, so um, we'd already had several people going up uh, and doing the multi-pitch thing. before the incident happened. I don't know whether you've ever been caught in a hailstorm. I uh, have on Hallett Peak in Rocky Mountain National Park, but the wow. but the hailballs were maybe dime sized. It sounds uh-huh. like yours were bigger than that, yeah. Well yeah, but even a dime size, uh if there's a bit of wind, it'll sting. Mm-hmm. It did. Yeah. <laughs> and so all day it had been raining off and on. So uh when I saw this cloud bank uh, way far away. I didn't think much of it. And so uh, uh, there were four people who were, uh, myself included, who were doing uh, this particular round. And uh, the uh, uh, we decided that uh, I would climb the second pitch uh, and then uh, we'd bring people up. Somebody else was belaying the first pitch and then uh, I climbed the second pitch. And uh, so when I got to the top and noticed that that cloud bank was coming a little closer, uh, I was getting a little concerned, but not too much. You know, you get rained on, uh, and out there, it the air is dry. You uh, dry out pretty quickly. But as it started getting closer, it was looking a bit more ominous. So three of us were up, and we were bringing up the last person. And uh, this will make more sense later. But that person thought, well, I'm going to be going down this way again. I'm just going to leave my belay device down there. I won't need it. I'll just pick it up on the way down. And uh, so that last person came up. And uh, when he came all the way up to the top of the second pitch. Yes, we got got everybody to the top and we're all sitting up there. There, There's a small space on the top that uh, you can sit on. But I was hanging over the edge because I was getting uh, setting up the rope to rappel down. And uh, uh, one of the guys was saying, uh, Jason was saying that he saw lightning, but I didn't. And I didn't hear thunder either. So I wasn't all that concerned. I thought, well, we might get wet, but that's no big deal. Uh, But uh, uh, Ashley was, uh, she was uh, an experienced climber as well. She worked at the gym and it was really good that she was along. Uh, So... um, 
about when she was about halfway between the top and the first belay station, uh, the uh, wind hit, and it must have been 50 miles an hour. It could have been more. And the hailstones were um, uh, golf ball size. And uh, man, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. It was just minutes, and we were all frozen, so cold, shaking really hard, uh, shivering. And uh, so uh, Jason threw himself over uh, the girl who was up there and and shielded her from the uh, hailstones. And uh, so he took a bit of a beating, but they were on top, and I was hanging off the side. So I was catching it over my whole body both the cold and the hailstones. And so it wasn't too long before I was really cold. So I imagine um, you're all in t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's 80 degrees, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, the end of July. It's uh, you don't, you don't, uh, experience that kind of cold, uh, in that kind of, uh, uh, situation. I I never did get to the point where I thought, man, uh, are we going to survive this? So Ashley uh, was, uh, like I said, halfway down, and she was going straight down to the the a belay station that we hadn't used, and she'd never seen it. So she was getting a little anxious. So she yelled up, and we barely heard her over the wind uh, uh, that she couldn't find them, and uh, she couldn't uh, find the bolts, the yeah, anchor bolts, right. And, and so, um, uh, I yelled down to her that they were straight down and then she found them and yelled up and boy, that was a relief. This was Katie's first multi-pitch. It was also the first time that she ever did a rappel. So, uh, she, that, that's a, a trial by fire and we got her on and uh, sent her down to Ashley, and Ashley uh, clipped her in. Everybody had their uh, personal safety devices, and uh, Ashley got her clipped in. And I barely remember getting Jason's uh, belay set up. I was hanging over the edge. He was sitting on top. And uh, so I hooked him in uh, because it was easier for me from the side, Uh, but I sent him uh, down on my uh, ATC. And so uh, it, from there, uh, hypothermia set in. And I really don't remember a whole lot. Uh, all I know is what they tell me. And uh, it was pretty funny some of the time. But it wasn't funny, uh, me on the top all by myself without a, uh, an ATC. And hypothermic. Yeah. Loss of motor functions. But I don't remember, but I must have been thinking clearly because I yelled down, don't worry about it. I'll just wrap the rope uh, three times through my uh, um, carabiner. I I had done it before. I knew how to do it. But Ashley nixed that idea. She said, no way. And uh, so I pulled up on the rope, uh, an ATC, and uh, got it hooked in. don't remember doing any of that, but I guess I did. And uh, I guess I must be pretty obedient, too, because uh, I didn't fight Ashley when she said, no, don't do that. So she was yelling at you from the top of the first pitch. That's correct. To the top of the second pitch. That's correct. So now at this point, you're the only one at the top of the second pitch getting hailed on with golf ball size hail pellets. 
And the other three are down standing at the first belay station, which wasn't used on the way up, but right. actually found on the way down. Okay. Uh, and a pretty good place, too. It wasn't a hanging belay. You could actually stand on it. So that was really good. So um, I, I got the uh, uh, ATC up and got myself hooked in. But when I threw the rope down, of course, it didn't go down. The wind blew it horizontal. And so I had to go down without a uh, uh, fireman's belay. And uh, these days, we use uh, that third hand, the Prusik or Klemheist that you uh, tie to your harness, that uh, if you let go, it catches you. Um, and it's a very cool thing, but we didn't know about those then. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure whether I would have been in a frame of mind to actually put one on anyway. But uh, uh, it was... They were a lot more concerned than I was because obviously I was kind of in Nana land, uh, but uh, I did make it down to them. And uh, but I was really they, they they tell me that I was really out of it. I was saying over and over again, "What month is it? Where are we?" And uh, at first that sounds kind of kind of nuts, but when you think about it, it's. The, the, there's so much ice on the side of this mountain that it could be February. And so I knew that we had gone in the summertime to uh, mountains in South Dakota. And this just didn't feel like where we had uh, arrived uh, a day earlier. And so it was a rational question. I was just asking it over and over again and really not hearing anybody if they tried to answer. Yeah, that that's a that's an, a clear sign of hypothermia. Yeah, we got Ashley down again first at the bottom because she was the best one to go down alone and uh, to set up a fireman's belay at the bottom, and then uh, they sent me next because I was uh, I was really not doing very well. You were and deteriorating, I, right? Yeah. Uh, they told me at the bottom that uh, I couldn't even stand on my own. So, uh, uh, one of the other guys, the, the rest of the team, they were amazing. When the, uh, uh, storm came in, they were all surprised too. One of the guys was uh, looking around. It, it sounded like somebody was throwing rocks and he was looking around to see he must've been pelting them really quickly. And then he saw the hail and, uh, other people were on routes as well. And they bailed, got down and they tried to shield themselves close to the rock, but the hailstones were bouncing off so hard that they moved away from anything hard and tried to take shelter under branches. And, uh, they saw that we were on the mountain and, uh, we disappeared behind a wall of, uh, 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 rain and ice, and they had no idea what was going on up there. One of the guys uh, uh, yelled, we got to do something, and started running toward the uh, base of the, um, of the pitch. And we were pretty close together. We were only about 50 feet. Uh, there were three or four different climbs going on at the same time, within 50 to 100 feet. And so everybody was affected the same way. And uh, they they got off of their routes and were trying to shelter, uh, but it was raining so hard and there was so much ice that there were these ice rivers that were carrying away gear. Wow. Yeah. And uh, 
Uh, I only know this because they tell me, because I was, all I knew was that I was very, very cold and where were we and what month is it? And um, uh, so they were hanging tight at the bottom, uh, wishing they could do something and really anxious about what was going on over there. And uh, so it let up just a bit. And one of the guys, Jake, uh, he's a Marine. And it's interesting. I've known several Marines and uh, all of them uh, know how to take charge when uh, something needs to be done. So Jake got everybody organized and uh, they got hot drinks for us. Uh, they got dry clothes. Uh, that's even while the uh, 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 rain is still coming down, though the wind had let off some. So it wasn't as bad, but they were uh, they were getting ready for us. So that by the time we got to the bottom, they uh, uh, they were there to meet us and uh, start tending to <laughs> to gosh so those hailstones you wouldn't have believed some of the bruises uh, and very wet and very cold of course they were too but they were sheltered a bit more so um, they they took really good care of us and uh, took uh, they gathered up gear and went up to our campsite and spread everything out to dry. And it was really amazing because within about 10 minutes after that, the storm cleared. Right. Uh, sun sun yeah. came out. Yep. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> 15 minutes later, all the uh, uh, hail was melted and the uh, uh, rock was starting to dry out. So I started coming to again uh, on my way to uh, one of the guy's cars. And, uh, it was the strangest thing. It was like walking out of a cave. And uh, I was wearing my sweatpants that I sleep in and somebody else's long sleeve shirt. And I didn't know how, wh wh how that had happened. And I said, well, what's going on? And then I said again, where are we? What month is it? Right. <laughs> well, know? now all of a sudden it's summertime again. You know, it went yeah. from winter to summer. Yeah. And uh, so Jake and uh, Ashley were taking me to the car. I was going to the hospital. And uh, uh, I, I, at this point, I was a little more argumentative. I said, well, how do my eyes look? And they looked at my eyes and they were responsive. And uh, I said, well, let, let me eat, eat something. So I ate an apple and it stayed down. They were concerned that I had a concussion, which would make sense. Uh, but food stayed down and my eyes were fine. So I said, tell you what, let's wait for a couple of minutes and see how I feel. And I kept getting better and better and I could walk on my own and I was talking clearly. They were concerned that you had a concussion from not wearing a helmet and the hail balls yeah. Okay, but they didn't think you fell at any point. It was just the hail balls. The hail. Just beaming you in the head. Well, yeah, and I had gotcha. some pretty good bruises on my yeah. head, too. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Uh -huh. So, uh, yeah, uh, I had to talk uh, pretty hard to get them to not take me to the hospital, but um, I was looking good. I was sounding good. Uh, they wouldn't let me climb in the evening uh, after dinner because, you know, in July, it you can climb till... Uh, nine o'clock without needing a headlamp. And so uh, most of them went out again. They wouldn't let me, but I, they let me the next day. But uh, uh, it was pretty amazing how this group, just really um, good thinkers, worked well together. Uh, no complaining, no arguing. Um, 
uh, around the fire that evening, we uh, just kind of shared what was going on. And, and uh, I had this memory that I wasn't quite sure of. Uh, I thought I remembered the um, mountain we were on totally covered with ice. And I thought, well, even with hail, that would be pretty crazy. And uh, one of the guys said, no, that was it. Uh, it was really covered with ice. When we go out there now, we're a little more familiar with the weather. And we plan for it better. Just by looking at weather forecasts and yeah, how, how are you planning for it? Uh, we know that when we see weather coming, what might happen. Mm-hmm. I've only experienced it that way once. Uh, it, it actually happened twice that same weekend. Uh, late in the evening once we got hit hard too. But that time it wasn't hail. It was just rain and wind. But... Um, we take it more seriously, and yes, weather radar is a beautiful thing. We, uh, we check the weather radar. But when you know what to look for, it's a lot easier. I mean, I'd, I'd uh, been out in Colorado, and you know you can see it coming from a long way off, and you know what it's going to be. You know it's going to be done in 10 minutes. Always comes from the same direction. So uh, the, the patterns at uh, uh, Black Hills are just different, and knowing that really helps. What what other things did you learn from this experience? Well, I always wear a helmet now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, it I had been climbing for- sort of above and for potentially falling on your head or or hitting your head or taking a large swing and hitting your head on the rock. But you yeah, bet. Ha- you know, a, a hazard from above is a big deal. Any rock fall, the big hail balls. Mm-hmm. You bet, man. Um, I can't believe I had been climbing at that point for a lot of years probably eight years. And uh, I can't believe that at that point, of course, the uh, the climbing community has matured considerably over the years. Um, best practices are really improving and uh, uh, we keep up with them. Uh, like that, uh, the Prusik or Klemheist as a, um, a uh, third hand, that thing is fantastic. But recently I was down in Arkansas at uh, Horseshoe Canyon Ranch and a guy was uh, climbing a new route, a beautiful route, very fun. But he pulled on a hold and a whole uh, about 15 pound rock pulled out and uh, smashed to the ground. And uh, his belayer was fine, but it, it bounced and hit uh, a, a young woman belaying on another route. And it knocked her down a hill. She fell uh, headlong down a hill. The climber uh, was able to catch himself and somebody else grabbed the rope. But man, and she wasn't wearing a helmet. Oh, that could be a disaster. It's so often that you you don't see belayers wearing helmets. That is a very good point. Well, and I preach it now. I'm not a control freak. You know, when I see people doing something, I make suggestions. I, I go in uh, and say, uh, I, I noticed that you're having a little trouble belaying. Can I give you a hand? Uh, or um, the guy who's uh, missed a clip. I don't even know the guy, but I see that he's missed a clip and his belay is fumbling a little. <laughs> so, you know, I go in and without saying, uh, you fool, you idiot, what are you doing? You know, just saying, hey, can I be of some help? I noticed that you're having a little trouble here. And people mm-hmm. are amazingly receptive. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they know well, that's much trouble. more supportive than than you wagging your finger and shaming them. I mean, nobody oh, wants yeah. to be shamed. I mean, you know, if you if you're there to help somebody and and support each other, that's that's a much better mantra than 
you know, making people feel dumb or stupid. Well, yeah. And how stupid was I to be uh, on a mountain without a helmet? Uh, You know, I mean, uh, maybe stupid's too strong a term, but it, it certainly wasn't wise. And it's a wisdom that I've certainly picked up. But I think it's really good if you can adopt an attitude of humility, because we've all been idiots at times. If you can ad- adopt an attitude of humility, we really can be of help to each other. I'm an, ex- I'm an experienced climber. I've been climbing for a long, long time. And if somebody makes a suggestion to me, my automatic response is, well, thank you. Yeah. Not, what, you don't think I can do this? Right. If we can uh, put on a bit of humility, then we can both take and give correction. Um, I... Uh, I practice that if somebody tells, uh, has a question about what I'm doing or says, hey, uh, uh, do you know that you're doing such and such? Uh, um, I may say, well, yes, I intended that. But even, uh, even if I intended it, I tell them, thank you. Mm-hmm. I want to hear. I, want, I don't want people to be afraid of talking to me because we all make mistakes. We and do. If some, and if, accidents happen. You bet. And if somebody catches it for me, if they're not afraid of of talking to me and saying, hey, did you know you did this? Or uh, um, you miss a clip or um, uh, I'm not sure about your not double back. It looks like you're not double backed or. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, putting on wearing humility, most climbers do, but there are some uh, that. Well, let's just say that if we approach them with humility, they're a whole lot more likely to be able to hear what we're saying, and yeah. we might prevent a disaster. And as well, uh, the the last thing uh, is uh, that I would say that we learned was how powerful teamwork can be. Mm-hmm. And again, the humility factor there. Uh, nobody looked at uh, Jake and said, who are you? You know? Everybody fell in line and did good things toward what was necessary. Jake's an excellent leader. He also knows how to listen. And so uh, it was definitely a group effort with uh, uh, um, Jake uh, uh, heading it up, but certainly not uh, uh, throwing around orders like a drill sergeant. And And then Jake is the one that was uh, boiling the hot water and... Uh, he had people doing it. Okay. He uh, he was more directing than anything. And at mm-hmm. the bottom, he caught me and kept me from just collapsing to the ground. And he was the one walking me toward the um, car and getting me into dry clothes and all of that. Uh, and then Ashley as well. I am so grateful for Ashley because uh, once I had everybody down to her, she really ran the show. Uh, and she did so beautifully. I mean, when she went down uh, that first uh, from the first belay station to the bottom, the rope was just uh, going wild. Uh, it got tangled several from, times from the wind. Yeah, and wet—a wet, wind-blown rope is impossible to control. And so she clipped into bolts a couple of times so she could have uh, two hands free to be able to untangle the thing to get to the bottom. And then she was the one who offered the uh, uh, fireman's belay to get everybody down. So Ashley uh, was definitely a hero. And, and Jason and um, uh, Katie, 
uh, being so cool in the middle of a really what could have been a horrible situation. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot of bad things could have happened. And everybody was just as composed and thinking clearly. And see, a lot of it was we were trusting each other. And uh, that, uh, boy, makes things go so much, uh, so much more smoothly. Uh, when you trust each other and are listening to each other and responding to each other, uh, the group uh, dynamic is just amazing. Hypothermia is no joke. And today I have Morgan from Desert Mountain Medicine to tell you a little bit about what it is and how to watch for it. Hi there, my name is Morgan Matthews and I'm so psyched to be here on the Sharpen podcast. Um, so thanks for having me. I'm an emergency room nurse and an instructor for Desert Mountain Medicine, a wilderness medicine company that's based out of Leadville, Colorado. And I'm here to chat about what is happening pathophysiologically in someone with hypothermia. Hypothermia can occur when a person is exposed to a cold environment, in this case, a hailstorm. Um, physiologically, our bodies start to compensate by vasoconstricting or narrowing the blood vessels in our arms and legs to shunt blood to the core to keep the vital organs around the torso and brain warm. In addition to this, we start to shiver to shunt the blood quicker. While this is happening, the hypothalamus, which is located in the center of our brain and also known as the thermostat for temperature control in our bodies, is pushed into overdrive. If we push the hypothalamus for too long, it can no longer compensate for temperature regulation and we can then be pushed into severe hypothermia and ultimately unresponsiveness. So there's three stages of hypothermia. There's mild, moderate, and severe. Anytime you go from mild to severe on the spectrum of any environmental emergency, such as hypothermia, you lose all ability to help yourself because of disorientation, meaning that you will need to rely on someone else to care for you. So Dr. Gordon Geisbrecht, um, who is a leading scientist in hypothermia research, has designed a tool to quickly assess which stage of hypothermia a person might be in. There are four elements used for this assessment. And the first one is determining whether the person is conscious or unconscious. This is the first step in any medical training to determine the care the person needs immediately. If they're unconscious, then we need to intervene right away and check for signs of life, such as a carotid pulse and for breathing. The second assessment tool is extremity movement. Are they moving their arms and legs normal or does it seem impaired or is there no function at all? This tells us how cold their arms and legs are and whether or not they have the ability to perform things for themselves, such as taking wet layers off and putting warm layers on. This also tells us more about a critical phenomenon called afterdrop, where the core temperature can drop very quickly due to shunting cold blood from the extremities to the torso, causing the heart to become very fragile and cold, and that can ultimately lead to fatal arrhythmias. This is a bigger topic that is discussed more in a wilderness first responder course and is the reason that a hypothermic patient should never move, exercise, or self-evacuate if they're in between mild and moderate hypothermia. Um, and that also depends on the, the situation and, and kind of where you're located in the backcountry. The third element is shivering. Like we said before, shivering is a compensatory mechanism in hypothermia. If we stop shivering, that means that we are no longer compensating and have lost the ability to shunt that warm blood to our core. The final assessment element is level of responsiveness. Do they know who they are, where they are, the time of day, and the event that is taking place? Depending on where they sit with hypothermia, they may be oriented times four, which is best case scenario, meaning they know all four orientation questions, or they may be only oriented times one, where they only know their name. So again, the four elements of assessment are consciousness, 
extremity movement, shivering, and level of responsiveness. So in this case, the climber is conscious, has impaired movement, is violently shivering, and is disoriented. Therefore, you can come to the conclusion that he most likely is in moderate hypothermia or somewhere right around that that zone. From a wilderness medicine standpoint, this requires a careful care um, of this patient with a transfer into something called a hypo-wrap to attempt to thermally stabilize them. Additionally, a high-priority evacuation needs to be called, uh, meaning that there's a high-priority search and rescue crew that can come um, and and take this person out via a litter carry, or there's a helicopter crew with a, a flight nurse or a medic that can come. Um, and it's really important to understand how to assess someone in hypothermia adequately because the treatment of this person ultimately depends on which stage they're in and the care you provide could mean the difference between life and death. So if you travel in the backcountry, I can't stress enough the importance of preparedness. So knowing that hypothermia can occur in any season. So watching weather patterns is very important. And of course, obtaining wilderness medicine certification and really diving into learning the tools to care for someone in the backcountry. Because it might save your backcountry partner's life. Thanks, Morgan, so much for sharing your expertise. And if you want to learn more about wilderness medicine, take a wilderness medicine course with Desert Mountain Medicine. DMM offers an array of courses, ranging from wilderness first aid to wilderness first responder. Whether you are a backcountry enthusiast or a guide, DMM has you covered. Take 10% off any DMM course through October by using code DMMWILDMED10. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountMedicine.com. Are you ready? Introducing Membership 2.0 from the American Alpine Club. Starting at just $45 a year, we've reimagined the membership experience to better serve you, wherever you may be in your climbing journey. We're the largest climbing community of rock-scaling misfits in the country, and you belong here. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.